And so there was a case where uh, this rapper brought onto the stage uh, a white fan and the white fan was reciting his lyrics and ended up saying the n-word and then the rapper got mad i'm like bro if if one group is not going to use them why continue using them welcome to kazungram dialogue a podcast dedicated to having honest conversations about the most important issues in life and in our culture we hope you enjoy this episode it's here with axel yes sir good to have you back on the podcast thanks for having me guys yeah good to have you back ax again (laughs) again yeah we just had you two episodes ago (laughs) yeah so axel you just finished your uh your first year of teaching at the university level and you know i'm just wondering like do you do you enjoy it as much as you enjoyed doing your studies and learning about all the material or do you enjoy teaching it more uh I, I enjoy uh, teaching and also studying too, right? Okay. Um, but uh, it's it's been a, a wonderful um, ride so far. I mean, I've learned lots about um, myself and about you know the, the craft of teaching and um, also like personal habits, like creating boundaries, healthy boundaries. Um, Going to bed um, early, waking up um, early to to be ready to um, teach in the morning because I had uh, eight a.m. classes okay. to teach, <laughs> and so um, I would uh, yeah I would go to bed like around nine uh, thirty and then would, uh, nine thirty p.m. and and I would wake up around five a.m. Uh, prepping, um, going over my my, t- my material. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was a huge learning curve for sure, and I'm still learning a lot about teaching, right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and I think, and I've heard that it gets easier um, in your third year or fourth year. Okay. Of teaching, um, first year was really tough. Mm. <laughs> creating new content for your classes um, um, it was time consuming right because you you have to read you have to research you have to uh, compile all information together um, create uh, some sort of like PowerPoint uh, presentation uh, you have to know the content as well uh, be comfortable to teach uh, the content uh, also my teaching style requires um, not particularly um, looking at PowerPoint slides although um, I, I tend to do that okay. um, I like for example pre- when it comes to preaching I memorize my sermons and then I just preach Right. and so I tried to do that with my lectures as well um, I would uh, memorize my points, um, and then and then and then as as I'm going through slides, right? I I like to talk freely, and so uh, this style of teaching allows me to to be free, right? Um, but I think I'll I'll perfect 
I'll perfect that down the road. I'm still <laughs> okay. In terms of the demographics, in terms of demographics, are you the only African descent at Kingswood? Um, uh, on 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 faculty, no. Uh, faculty, there's, a, yeah, there's faculty. another one. There's another uh, professor of uh, worship um, who's of uh, African descent. So okay, so this is a, this is a, this is a good transition to talk about um, something that we've talked about. I mean, we've all sort of talked about. I don't know if we've talked about this together, but this idea of race, mm. right? I think all of us somewhat agree that race is a social construct. Right. Mm-hmm. But we have our disagreements. But <clears throat> Axel, what do you think about race as a general whole, as a general concept? Well, does it make sense to talk in terms of black, you know, so if we if we had if if there was somebody who's super progressive or somebody who was not, who was, let's say, somebody on the far right or someone on the far left, they entered this room, they'd be like, whoa, look at this one white dude, one black dude, one brown dude. Right. 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 right and that's right. how they would classify us. Right. Um, so the, the, here's the thing about about race. It's like. It's like yes, we we understand race as a as a social construct in our modern world, but it isn't the case that I mean I mean it's still a fact of uh, reality. What do I mean by that? It's like I look the way I look because of um, of the the location in the world that I come from and the sort of, sort of like ethnic group that I. I come from I'm part of right similar uh, with you IJ and and Amos right um, but um, that's how I see it it's yes it's a social construct it's like when you say black first, first of all growing up in Africa nobody referred to each other as black it's like <laughs> hey black like no no <laughs> like we never thought of ourselves as black it's like we're Africans yeah and black is not a a, a primary um, mark of identity, right? Mm. You are um, on the con- African continent. It's either you're a Zambian or you're Congolese or you're Ghanaian, Nigerian, and black is not is not a term. Um, it just I've started using that frequently when when uh, I grew up in the West, um, in Canada, right? And so, um, yes, um, and even when you say, even that black concept is not really helpful because there are a lot of dark-skinned people in the world all over, and some of them are aboriginals in in, um, in Australia, right? In Papua New Guinea, like... So what do you mean when you say when we use what do we mean when we use these terms uh, black and and white kind of um, and so um, in some ways I don't see I don't see it as a helpful way of uh, dif- of classifying people um, so uh, but at the same time I, I still see it as a as a as a as a fact of reality I have a hard time. Um, with the idea of colorblind, I don't think it's possible at all to be mm. colorblind, um, and so I, I take issues with that. Mm. Yeah, 
like <clears throat> I know that these are like their so- social constructs have a history and um, I think that's maybe where like they are helpful like these are are you know social tools that were used to distribute power in certain ways mm-hmm. like you know if you look at the, the history of whiteness like when Italians first came to North America it was you know you're either white or you're Italian um, like when Germans came it wasn't well, with Germans, they were considered white, but they were looked down on. But like other ethnic Even minorities, I- Irish, yeah, right. Irish weren't considered white when they first came to to North America. Right. And you know, it's yeah, looking at them is is sort of a way of of seeing yourself as being in like a, a certain like historical context, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The to your point about the color blindness, mm-hmm. I'm not too sure. I, I mean, I don't. I'm not familiar with how the i'm assuming the general term when it's being used colorblind is oh i don't see color color, um, but here's the thing right so i'm you know my wife is my wife is a mix of um dutch french canadian and polish right so she's technically considered a white a white person Mm -hmm. but what i've always noticed is i forget that she is what we would call white. And we've had this conversation where she forgets that I'm brown or Asian. And then every now and then we'll talk and we're like, oh yeah, we're two different, we're two different ethnic groups. And this happens frequently to me with when I'm hanging out with Amos, when I'm hanging out with you, which I've told you before. Mm-hmm, I was, mm-hmm. Sometimes we're in an elevator and I'm looking in the mirror and I realize, oh, Axel's, Axel, Axel is considered black and I'm considered brown. And I was like, oh, I actually forgot about that. So is that considered colorblind or is that, or are people meaning colorblind as in like, they look at you and they're like, I don't think you're black. Right. When I look at you, I don't think you're white. Is that- you know, um, like if, if, we, if we look at the, the history, um, maybe, um, I mean, what I've seen is that uh, ethnic identities were primary marks of identity in terms of ethnic like, like ethnic identity as oh tribal identity tribal identity for sure tribal yeah for sure were like you know because even primary within, marks of uh of, of identity for sure because even within ethnic groups there are other ethnic groups right like you yeah. can sub categorize ethnic groups you have like the nigerians you know that there's a nigerian civil war that happened and they're different. They're everybody's tribes, sort of considered the, the Nigerian, but they're all different tribes. Different, different tribes, and they all correct, somewhat correct. hate each other, or right. at least they used to and, hate and, each and other. And these identities were spatially uh, characterized, right? Like, um, and so, yeah, it's this way of dividing the world in white, black, and even take take the 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 the, the, the term African American. How is that a racial term, hmm. right? How is it the a continental name, <laughs> African? <laughs> it's like African American. Like, how is that? First, you have like, there's a, there's a, the, the, the first one, um, uh, speaks the term African, right? Like, it means, you, you know, you're from the continent of Africa, uh, but like, when you look at Africa as a whole, it's it's, it's a racial it's it's racially diverse like it's a racially mm. diverse continent so african doesn't mean black 
<laughs> there mm. are white Africans. There are, um, um, you know, uh, black Africans. You you have Arabs as well, um, and so yeah, it's, it's a confusing term. And also Asian. How is Asian a racial term? Mm. Like who are we talking? About? Are, are we? Uh, do we mean? Uh, do we also include um, South Asians, like Indians, in, when we use that word? Like, you know, so I just don't see these terms helpful. Um, so the modern attempt to divide people um, racially um, is unsatisfactory uh, to me. Mm. Uh, but I think um, it's more helpful to uh, begin with uh, tribal or ethnic identities mm. and go from there mm. right um, because Nigerians are different from Congolese Kenyans are different from Zambians so even if you group them under this <laughs> one term black it's, <laughs> we're different yeah, yeah. you know and, and the same thing um, when when we think of when we think about Europeans uh, British uh, people are different from Swedish people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Swedish people are different from Italians. So, what do we mean when we use this term "white"? You know, yeah. um, but I, I still see how these uh, um, colors are modern um, ways of identifying somebody. Yeah, um, there are positives and negatives, but. I, I just don't think it's it's their helpful mm. terms or categories. Okay. Yeah. What What do you mean when when you say helpful? Because there, like, there is like an idea that um, throughout throughout history in in North America, anyways, uh, like these these were like social categories that were imposed on people to divide them, and you know our our culture like hasn't changed overnight. There's there's still part of that history that carries on. Into our into our present, and so they they still do have an effect in a social reality. So like, yeah, yeah. The reason why I mean they're not helpful is because they were primarily impo- imposed to divide people. Mm, That's right. what they do. They divide people. Yeah. Right. Um, and and so, um, I think um, uh, it, it's it's helpful to have a conversation about your lineage where you come from your heritage right right Um, because that's how things began (laughs) yeah (laughs) right what are you gonna say um you're gonna say something oh yeah i mean this conversation is interesting because as if you saw my instagram story a few days ago there's a man named ollie london british dude what we would consider white, you know. He moved to Korea eight years ago, taught English, and while he was there, he fell in love with K-pop. Then he fell in love with Korean food, Korean culture, and then he thought, oh man, I'm actually Korean. Right. And now he went and got his surgery, his, you know, his cheekbones sorted, his eyes sorted, and now he identifies as a Korean man, and the idea is that he's a transracial person, right? He he can he he as a british you know a descendant of an anglo-saxon 
he now identifies as a Korean or Korean ethnic group, mm-hmm. or I don't even know if it's a Korean ethnic group, but that but but Koreans, and so this has been very fresh in my mind because as I think about this, and I, you know, a few years ago, I had to read this paper called "In Defense of Transracialism." I didn't have to read it; I read it by Rebecca Tuval in which she defended transracialism and said, oh, you can make the same argument for transracialism the same way that you can make for transgenderism Mm -hmm. because you can employ the same logic and defend somebody because if somebody can change their um, gender, right? If somebody's born as a man and then they can uh, change their gender to become a woman, then logically and philosophically you could make that argument for uh for ethnic groups or race right and when i you know and she wrote it and she got demolished her phd supervisor right she her phd supervisor who and you know rebecca tuval was an assistant professor at that point mm-hmm. and it was put in hepatia it was you know hepatia is like the biggest feminist uh philosophical journal it was published, and Hepatia retracted the article, which never happens. You don't retract a peer-reviewed article, right? Mm-hmm. They retracted, and her PhD supervisor denounced her in public, denounced her, right? Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of people who supported her, you know, like my grad supervisor, Mark, was in support of not her paper, but in support that as a philosopher, you should be able to defend these things. And, you know, we had talked about it, and I was like, yeah, this is kind of funny. Like, I wonder when it's going to come into reality, and boom, I see this post and, you know, he's out here, he's gone on, he's sort of making his media rounds. Right. And I would have suspected, I would have assumed that in the media, people would have said, okay, listen, man, you can't be Korean. Like, it just trivializes what it means to be Korean. I feel like for all the Koreans, they must be like, what, this guy just can wake up one day and now he's Korean? Mm. You know, and... I wonder what they think about that. Koreans. Well, I had a. I have, Has there been a, a formal response? I don't think there's been a formal response. There have been some friends who are Koreans of mine who have messaged me, and they're like, "This is ridiculous. It trivializes being a Korean Their identity." Yeah, yeah. like if you, somebody can, if I, you know, if I wake up tomorrow and said, "Amos and Axel, I have a confession. I'm Senegalese now," and you're like, "No, you're not." You can't be Senegalese. Well, it's like, well, I, you know, I've always felt that way. Or if I said something which would be more appropriate in, in so far as my understanding goes, you know, I grew up with rap music. I watched MTV as a kid in India, right? So right. we always, we right. just understood African-American. We didn't even know that term existed, but like in America, the rap music, like that's what it is, right? right? We learned our language there. So if I said, oh yeah, I'm actually African-American, you know, I would I would assume that the majority of people, the woke people especially, would be very upset because now I'm taking a, um, um, becoming part of a group that is uh, that is seen as heavily oppressed still to this day, and now I'm identifying myself with them and it allows me to do it would you know and then I'm I'm sort of putting myself in a situation and identifying with a group that I have no real you know, I've never been an African American. Like, I never really grew up in. Oh, right. Oh. You don't have the historic connection. The yeah. historic yeah. connection. Yeah. Correct. So. Right. 
Yeah. And I think like that's maybe where, um, like, I, yeah, I, I doubt that uh, the idea of changing your race will, will become a majority thing because most people recognize like, yeah, look, uh, the, these are categories with a history. Um, like, you know, obviously they're socially constructed to some, some degree. Hmm. Um, but yeah, like it's, well, I mean, yeah, they're completely socially constructed, but, um, yeah, to, to be a Korean involves like sharing their history, um, being in a certain place at a time. And, you know, you can't just obtain that through an act of will. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Mm. Um, Let's take it up a notch. So, <laughs> well, what about, what about, we're getting into some controversy uh, in the take, future. Yeah, let's um, take it up a notch. No, no, no. In the future, like, so we live in this global village, yeah. right? Um, and in the future, um, I don't think. Um, I think probably national identities. I don't know if they'll be they'll be more important than racial identities in the future. But technically, even now, you can be a a black person Mm -hmm. and still be Korean if you if you were born in Korea which there are cases in Korea. Or you were adopted. Or you were adopted. Or you were adopted. Yeah. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and you would feel Korean ins- inside. Yeah. Right? And so th- there, there are these phenomenons or like these examples, these cases yeah. out there, right? Um, so you don't necessarily have to be Korean or Congolese uh, to feel Congolese, mm-hmm. right? That's like, a good point. Ethnically speaking. Yeah. Um, there are many Chinese people in Congo and they feel Congolese yeah and they want to be included in Congolese politics yeah right and and some of them also um, are voicing the uh, their um, need to be a Congolese president yeah mm. that's There's a fraction of, you know in Congo I think Chinese. that's why it's interesting to be in North America because to be American, I'm talking as if I'm American, <laughs> to be American or to be Canadian, you don't actually have to be part of any ethnic group. You could be any ethnic group and come here and become American. Mm-hmm. Whereas you you and I, Axel, having grown up outside, we know that if you wanted to be Indian or if you want to be Congolese, for the majority of those people, you have to look like them to be feel accepted or you kind of get looked down upon. So in India, obviously, I don't look like, you know, our friend, um, our, our our friend Alex, who hopefully doesn't mind me just dropping his name. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't look like Alex. Mm-hmm. And people like Alex in India don't think that I'm Indian, mm-hmm. right? And that's the case with other Indians who don't look like Alex. Mm-hmm. And I know that in Korea, if you were in South Korea and and a North Korean comes in, North Koreans have expressed that they f- are discriminated against in South Korea, even though they are almost identical in terms of like history, well, history North to Koreans? an extent. North Koreans, they get discriminated against because the South Koreans don't 
consider them Koreans. And then the Koreans... It's because of that divide. It's because of that divide. And also Koreans also have this thing where they'll say, if you're a Korean that grows up outside of Korea and you come back, they don't consider you as a real Korean. Mm. So, to yeah, your... There's that thing. Um, uh, it's a thing, too, in Congolese. Uh, oh, in, in other African cultures. Yeah. Like, I... But, like, after a while, like, with... Once you establish a history of living together, your your cultures sort of blend, and the the sort of you know, uh, like live divides break down, and you just become like one people, and those old social constructs pass away. Right. Uh, you know that that might um, you know I don't know what the situation with Chinese people in Congo is like, but that might take a certain amount of like, um, you know maybe breaking down some of the old stereotypes and learning to, to live together and cooperate. Exactly. But, yeah. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. Because I think moving forward, national identities are going to be primary. Mm. Over mm. ethnic identities. Over ethnic identities. Yeah. Mm. What What is a Canadian? Yeah. What is an American? What is a Korean? All these things but are going to look different. I mean... Uh, the, they'll look differently. In, in some ways, a lot of the... Um, well, like the primary ethnic identities in North America today were national identities because only like uh, white property owners could were considered citizens in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, and that that sort of has and that's played a huge down. role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that that sort of idea of, of citizenship uh, like played a huge role in forming race and race forming citizenship mm. and like yeah. Is it helpful though to you know? with race because you have people who are progressive on the left hand on the left and then people on the right and the you know people will use race and say you know there's let's say there's systemic racism or there is these white people who are powerful and are oppressing the people of color POCs and then on the other side you know People will say, "Well, there is none of these. There's no, there's no active racism. Well, there's, there's no systemic racism." But then at the same time, we'll say, "This is a white person and this is a black person." So both groups tend to use race, even though they consider it as a social construct. As a social construct, right? Yeah. I've always said this. They're playing the race game, both sides. Mm. And it's both a lo- sides do you think it's a losing game? Like, does it solve anything at the end of the day if? Race is a social construct. It's like you can debate all you want. Yeah. Let's deal with the issues that people are facing. Yeah. I I don't know if we have a choice. Like we're historical beings who were brought up into a certain culture that has used these things and like we can't just do away with them like by an act of will. Mm. Like it'll take you know, cultures aren't something that individuals determine just out of nowhere. It takes sort of like collective action over generations. So, you know, I don't know if we have a choice to, to say, like, well, these are helpful categories, we should use them, we shouldn't. So, okay. I mean, okay, so to add to... to we continue. can't do away with them. Yeah. Like, we just, we can't. We but what is, but this is the thing, I don't know. They're a, fe- they're a feature of our modern world, yeah. right? But if we're, if we're actually having an honest conversation... Um, you have to ask what is a white person and what is a black person because you have biracial mm-hmm. kids. Yes. 
and what are they they're not it's almost almost every biracial kid that i've met yeah right especially uh, biracial specifically talking about like an african and a caucasian person right mixing right. the kid or my friend i should say my yeah. friends have always identified not as the white person or white they've always identified themselves as black why that's the thing why and i say why, why do you identify as the black because they'll say well because you know my skin tone is closer to my mom right and to me it i think and i haven't fully made up my mind on this but i think it's the idea that there is this i there the notion is that there is a pure race on both sides right if you're black you're pure black and so if you get a black i'm 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 using these terms if you get a black and a white mixing then you get a cappuccino color right and the cappuccino can identify as white because he obviously doesn't look like a white person in quotes so he identifies himself as the black because that's closer to him that's that's the way i've always understood some of my friends who are biracial and why they'll always identify as black yeah you know and the way they act they'll say we talked about that you know they'll say the n-word right and i'm like but you know like i i, I don't understand and yeah. it was like yeah i'm black isn't drake also half black Half white. Uh, he's uh, Filipino. He's half Jewish. No, no, no. He, he, he's uh, he's um, half yeah, black and half Jewish. Yeah. Um, yeah, half white. So. Um, yeah. But like, you know, you. Why not just say fully black and fully white, <laughs> black and white, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, Stand why up, half? Speak up. Why half half? But and yeah, I understand why. But, but like, yeah, there, there's a history to that sort of stuff too. Yes. Like, you know, do, you, do your friends have a choice, or is that like, you know, something that's sort of thrust on them? Exactly. Um, because like, you know, there there is a history of like, you know, blood purity laws mm. in mm-hmm. well, in both the states and Canada. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's this sort of like political and legal uh, ways of determining those things for for the sake of law or for the sake of you know different social practices. So yeah, like yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. What, what do you think, though, in terms of in terms of actually going about? You know, you you say there's a history of it. Couldn't you just not use it, right? Couldn't you like why? Why is the term black and white? Why why is that term? The reason I'm so opposed to it is because. It just simply doesn't make sense in my mind. Why? Because when you say white or you say black, you essentially... Ca- so if you say, let's say we say white, then you categorize a whole bunch of people who were never considered white, right? So over the past, at, at last point, summer, who were not never considered white, yeah. right? At one point, they tried to cancel Aristotle uh, a few years ago. I mean, maybe they did last year even. They tried canceling Aristotle because they say he's a white man and we're listening to... Um, white man, white man's philosophy. It's like Aristotle was. Uh, where's Aristotle from? He's from Macedonia, Macedonia, or, and lived most of his life in Athens. Yeah. Um. And then there's Julius Caesar, who's considered white, but he's actually lev- lev- ele- levantine. Levantine. Right? He yeah. has levantine blood in him. Correct. So then, but levantines don't consider himself white, but then you know they're sort of brought into the category as white right yeah that's that's sort of a historical to look at 
Because like the ancient way of thinking about ethnicities is there's Mediterranean people and there's barbarians to the north. Yeah. Like, yeah. So like white and whatever doesn't factor into that at all. It never did in yeah. the ancient. Right? Especially look at the Romans. The Romans considered other people as barbarians. <laughs> yeah. You know? It, it was either you were a Roman or barbarian. Yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Right? How many people how many people did the Romans kill? <laughs> I don't know. Probably a lot. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, like I don't know. Julius Caesar apparently uh murdered one million on his Gauls? conquest of Gaul. Yeah. One million. That's insane. Which is quite a bit considering the the size of the pop, like global population at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of people, man. So going on that what do you think about the term that some some words that people are not allowed to use what do i think like the n-word the n-word um in india it's a c-word for people just don't feel like people should use them that's that's just my opinion um yeah uh, they're derogatory terms um when i was young um I used to use them, you know. Um, growing up as a teen, you you watch, um, um, or you watch American movies and you listen to American um, music, and you, and as a non-American person, you're trying to identify yourself with that culture, but there are significant differences, I would say, between. You know African Americans and culturally and and Africans you know and or even like even um, when you consider um, a black person who was born and raised in Canada um, uh, there are differences between them um, culturally and African Americans but but the thing um, with respect to like the North American culture we tend to think that there's this monolithic culture yeah um but i don't think is the case when i when i lived in in chicago for six months Hmm. um i was living amongst other black people but i felt as though i was more canadian (laughs) because you know i'm from canada and they're americans so there was that national divide, but also mm-hmm. there's also that heritage d- divide. Whereas I'm more connected to my African mm. heritage right. than they are, and so um, I felt different. Yeah, I felt I was I was different from them, you know. Um, so there are these differences that people don't think about, right? Um. So, um, I don't know where I was going. With it was the end. There were like those words that people are not to say. Right. Uh, I don't. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I listen to these uh, African music. Uh, sorry, American music, and and I try to identify with that culture. But I mean, then again, if. Even if I were uh, 
American. I, I, I still think that these terms like the N-word are just not helpful to, to use um, the derogatory terms. Mm. If, if one group is not allowed to use them, why use them? Mm. And then if you're going to make hip-hop music in which you're using these Derog- N-words, and then somebody from the other group is reciting your hip-hop lyrics and ends up you know saying that n-word um how do you f- how how are you going to feel right and so there was a case where uh, this rapper brought onto the stage uh, a white fan and the white fan was reciting his lyrics and ended up saying the n-word and then the rapper got mad i'm like bro right so if if one group is not going to use them why continue using them mm. I, I i understand i understand that these terms now have different meanings right they mm-hmm. they have a, a different meaning but you're going you're going to be in those these awkward situations where now you have to um, think critically about whether you should use that term at all. You know, uh, cases like, for example, the the the, the rapper case mm, where yeah. you have a fan, you know, is reciting your lyrics, and you you know for sure you used that n word maybe ten times in in that verse, and of they're gonna recite the verse and so um, you shouldn't be surprised first of all that's one thing Uh, but at the same time I think this is for all artists think about the words that you write down Mm. think about the people that are going to listen to your music Mm. and think about the legacy you want to leave leave behind right um so i don't think we should uh discount moral moral issues when it comes to music i i think one needs to be morally responsible when he or she is Mm. writing um verses for for a song or whatever now, yeah, what would you like? Some someone might say that you know this is meant to shock, and it's meant to sort of like uh, reflect on you know certain like social realities that like you know a lot of rappers will talk about the the circumstances where they grew up, you know, like the yeah like there there's contexts where it is used, and music is meant to reflect those contexts exactly, yeah. and like you know the. Right. There, there seems to be a case for, like, for the sake of artistry, like you, you would want to use it. In right, some you, cases. you you want to be real. Um, yeah, and you have to use whatever lingo that you know your hood uses. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, th- there's a there's a place for that, um, but I'm thinking about effecting effecting change. Okay. Right. 
it's one thing to use it in a music and there's another side of me that that understands that yeah and i'm on like i understand why they're they're using that that term okay i understand it um but again do do you want to keep using that right now like is is there sort of like you you write hip-hop music you have like you know done performances and stuff yeah like is there is there a philosophy that you that you approach like writing writing lyrics with or um i would say my christian faith um forms the uh, uh the context like it informs the context in which i write my lyrics okay right um and then but it's 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 liberating it's not it's not as though i'm 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 controlled in in some way um in which i can't be creative right um you can still be creative in this context that your christian faith um informs or establishes yeah um and so i would say i would appeal to my christian faith and then I can be as creative as I as I want to um, within those bounds by uh, creating conscious hip hop, which is which is neither uh, secular nor Christian, right? But I can tell a story, mm. right? Um, and hope that I that story has um, a moral lesson of some kind, right? Uh, that somebody can take away from the music mm-hmm. right and so a song doesn't need to be explicitly christian yeah for it to be meaning to be a meaningful song yeah so um yeah so you can be very creative um in that context mm. yeah with words that people are not allowed to say and i i always go back and how forth. would you feel if lecrae said the n-word on the track <laughs> how would you feel if show baraka were to use the the n-word on the track or triple e Mario <laughs> uh, says okay yeah yeah <laughs> right yeah i mean i do I rest my case <laughs> <laughs> you know when you say it that way i can understand it sort of makes you think about just rap music that is not christian and think oh yeah it seems kind of self derog self what's the word self demising is that a word self-deprecating that's mm-hmm. what it seems like but at the same time, <clears throat> I think people, it's it's tough because there's a history, words have history, but also words have history because people give power to words, right? Words w- are powerful. Words are powerful, it's true, but people give, if you, people give, the more sacred a word becomes, the more powerful that word becomes so in french obviously i don't speak french at all 
but they use the word tabernacle, right? To, to, to swear or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, which tabernacle just means tabernacle or something? Ta- tabernacle. Tab- yeah. Right? Yeah. But it's a swear word in French. Like, I know, I know. I was like, the first time I heard this, I was like, what? What's tabernacle? Yeah, They're like the French people. They use the uh, ecclesial terms yeah. as swear words, and that, you know, and it's derogatory to very against uh, Christianity. Yeah, and I thought about this, and that's what made me start thinking about it when I came into contact with that word at first. And I thought, why is tabernacle a swear specifically word specifically Quebecois? Because I, I don't yeah. necessarily think of. French, uh, Parisian, Parisian French. Yeah, it's definitely uh, not. French people use that term. No, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's ex- exclusively it's, it's, Quebecois a, it's exclusively uh, Quebecois term. Yeah, but yeah, like you know, where you you sort of mentioned IJ that like oh we we give power to words, but you know, I don't think we have a choice. Like we're you know we're not individuals who just do this. We're mm. we're social beings, and we're social, you know, by means of our language, and so like you know. It's just like a natural thing to do. And, you know, uh, like Axel said, we really need to look responsibly at how we're, we're using our language. Um, yeah, just because we're, we're social beings and language is sort of the means by which we, we communicate, we relate to each other. And it is sort of like, you know, a, a big sphere of our, where we live out our ethical life. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, one thing I was going to ask you, Amos, when Axel was talking about how when he was in Chicago, he felt like he wasn't, he felt more Canadian than American. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You are a Newfoundlander. <laughs> okay. Do you feel like you, you've been back to Newfoundland multiple times now? Yeah. Do you feel that when you go back, you're like, ah, man, I got to kiss the cod again to feel more <laughs> Newfie? Yeah. To kiss the what? Yeah. So uh, like... I guess when when outsiders <laughs> when outsiders come to Newfoundland, it's sort of an issue, an initiation, right? Is you become an honorary Newfoundlander by kissing a codfish on its fishy lips and taking a shot of rum. Really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I never heard of that. Yeah, yeah. If you ever visit Newfoundland and you you, you get taken out to a pub, just know that that's what's coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I think. So, you know, my, my mom is a Newfoundlander. She sort of like spent the first half of her life there and she moved around a fair bit. And um, like my dad is not. And so growing up there, like I, I always knew that there is some like, you know, differences in the way my home life looked compared to like other people. And so, you know, I felt at home there. But as I became a teenager, maybe it's just because I was like angsty and, you know, teenagers want to leave home eventually. Mm-hmm. Like I, I felt less at home there. And then, like, you know, move to Ontario and then, like, you know, to Vancouver and then back to Ontario. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, it's been, what, uh, ten, 10 years since I've lived in Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I go back there, like, you know, it, it does, like, it's, that, like it's, you know, it does feel like home in a certain way. Um, but it also feels like, yeah, like there, there's a familiarity to it. Um, like it's always welcoming to go there to feel like you're reunited with something that you've lost and you can't find elsewhere um, mm. but there's also like a, you know uh, a sense where I you know I don't I don't feel like culturally at home there like I've changed and the you know a lot of the the way of life like manner of expression and whatnot um, 
you know, it's something that I was at home in and like something that I, I get used to. Like if I go back there for like two weeks, I find myself like, you know, picking up some of the expressions again. But it's all like it's almost like a culture shock going back there, even mm. though it's where I grew up. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Do you feel Ontarian? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know about that. Like, you know, you I, don't even have a Newfie accent. No, I don't. You have a don't Newfie have accent. a Newfie accent. I, I, you know, you can drop it. Drop one right now. Amy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to just drop one on demand. <laughs> Why <laughs> so, not? <laughs> so, do the, where are you at, boy? What are you at? Bye. Uh, but yeah, no. Yeah, I don't know about Ontarian because like, you know, I lived in Ontario for four years. Yeah, four years. And then out in... Uh, five years? Yeah, five years. Yeah, five years. And then out in Vancouver for, I don't know, three and a half. And then, yeah, back in Ontario now for, gee, I guess it would be two years in September. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I feel like a bit of a mix between both places. You know, there's not there's not as much of a cultural difference between Ontario and Vancouver as there is Newfoundland. But there's definitely some things where mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, like if I'm in, in the suburbs in Ontario, mm-hmm. um, like in the neighborhood where IJ and I were today, and um, <laughs> it's uh, uh, very... What's the story behind that? Very st- a lot, you know, very suburban. Oh, a lot oh, of right. people are, are quite, you know... Uh, pretentious in right. the way that they're carrying themselves. Right, right. I, I sort of feel like, oh yeah, man, it wouldn't be like this in, in Vancouver. <laughs> you know, pe- people are hippies out there, but they're like not as consumeristic, I guess. But yeah, uh, really? really, yeah, interesting. Well, yeah, I should say they're not as consumer. People are materialistic. They they like their pleasure. They like to, you know, devote their lives to their hobbies. Like a lot of people move out to Vancouver to, you know, go into the mountains if they're like professional snowboarders, uh, stuff like that. Uh, and so they're out there to, you know, uh, okay. per, pursue a, like a, a certain type of life. I see. But it's not necessarily like, yeah, I guess as consumption oriented right. as, as life in Ontario seems to be. Mm. Interesting. But yeah. So uh, what what happened today, IJ? Nothing. <laughs> oh, we don't we're just, we're just walking today. around. There's just a bunch of uh, white people. Out and I was like, I was just making a point about that because I didn't see a single, like I, I didn't see anybody that looked like me. Not that I, I don't, I don't really care. I just, it was just much more evident than before. And I think you know, in the lockdown, I don't know what happened, but none of my, none of the people who look like me came out of the lockdown. Mm. You know, I don't know if they're still hiding at home. Mm. Um, but that's that's just what happened. But okay, something that. I wanted to talk to you guys about was, you know, we've ta- we've talked about cultures here, like Newfoundlander culture. You talked about Congolese culture slightly and African American culture. How important do you think it is for North American or just, I guess, the West to have a Christian culture to maintain it, even if the people are nominal? And we were briefly talking, we were talking about this before we started the podcast and you were talking about Kierkegaard and how Kierkegaard was trying to get the people to commit because they were so nominalistic. They were, they're not, they were, they were non-committal Christians and he wanted them to commit mm-hmm. and he wanted it to be more than a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas the older I'm getting, I'm, I'm starting to think that it's actually tremendously important for 
people to maintain a Christian culture, even if they're nominal? Um. Well, my, my question is, what what do you mean by people? Who who are you talking about? And yeah. So by by people, I mean Christians, Christian people, Christian Christians people, right. to have a a Christian a Christian culture. A, the, I think the culture is is culture essentially like as we've talked about. Culture essentially is what shapes the nation and and the, and the surrounding society. And so, if you lack that culture, so like a great example of a great example slash a stereotype are Italians. Right, Italian Catholics, they're all not all. I'm I'm painting a white brush here, but a lot of times when you meet Italians, they say, oh, "I'm Catholic," but then you talk to them, they're like, "Well, no, I, I'm not really Catholic. My parents are Catholic. My grandparents are Catholic, so I'm just Catholic." And I got married at a Catholic church. I do I do I go to the mass every once a month, and then I'll go to the mass, the big mass at the Easter and Christmas. You know, they're what, what do they call them? Easter Eastern Catholics, uh, Eastern Christians, or something? Easter uh, Christians. Yeah, Easter Christians. Easter Christians. Mm-hmm. But they have a very strong culture of, you know, they'll emphasize a lot of things that Christianity is emphasized. The importance of family, uh, importance of, um, I mean, not not that it's necessary to practice all the time, but the importance of taking care of each other, right? The family, your surrounding neighborhood. Um, so that's what I mean by it. Mm. I miss you. Yeah, like... Yeah, it, it it's a tough question to you know to answer because on on the one level like um, <clears throat> a lot of well many aspects of North American culture do come from our Christian heritage uh, so our, you know the idea that there should be that there should be equal rights for all um, you know even if that wasn't always actualized in our history that idea is something that's Christian um, how Christian well like if you look at say like the Roman Empire before like that would have been like a laughable idea you know people born up the the social hierarchy are there because they're they're better they are more human than than the people below them and yeah I I think it's important to maintain like I I think the the way that Christianity has changed the the ethical presuppositions of you know the, the world that's inherited the Christian faith um yeah, that that's not something that we should look at losing lightly, uh, because it has improved people's lives. You know, like that. That said, you know, as as a Christian myself, like looking at some of the. Yeah, like if if I look at the nominalism, there there is like um, like there's there's a real strangeness about like authentic Christian faith, uh, compared to you know just cultural Christianity, and I think like it. it it's illustrated pretty well. I mean, the Kierkegaard example we were talking about, you can get into that in a second, Axel, but I, I wanted to bring up um, so St. Ignatius of Antioch. Um, he was a Christian leader in the early church. Uh, you know, he's in Syria, so Antioch was a, one of the main cities in what is today Syria. And um, he was arrested for being a Christian, and he was sent as a present from the governor of Syria to Rome. A present uh, as like a gift. Yeah, a, a gift. Uh, because they wanted, you know, as entertainment to slaughter him in the in the Colosseum. Yeah. Oh, so wow. it was he was going to be entertainment. He was going to be eaten by the wild beasts. And he writes a letter uh, to the church in Rome as he's on his way there. 
Uh, he opens it up with a bunch of puns because I guess the right. squadron of guards who were guarding him were known as the leopards, and he was you know going to be torn apart in front of a crowd by by leopards for their entertainment. So anyway, but like he he talks about he he writes to the Roman Church saying like you know don't prevent me from facing my martyrdom, uh, don't try to like intervene um, because uh, it you know. If I die for love, if I die for what I truly believe, if I die for Christ, then and only then will I be human. Um, you know, that's mm. that's what it means to be like created. Like I've not yet been fully created. I'm still just sort of like a partial being, not fully human. And it's only you know, only if I fully commit to my ideas with my whole life is when you know mm. is when I become human. And he was sort of like seen as, you know. Face, like facing death for his belief was seen as like this is the exemplar Christian life uh, you know he, he was heavily involved in charity and yeah like died because of it because he refused to to deny mm. and you know that's that's quite different than um, you know well I believe in human rights and yeah um, and I guess like the reason I brought that up is uh, so I've, I've been reading Being in Time by Heidegger. I'm like off and on it quite a bit. But I guess in the opening, he has a, a section. Uh, he, he calls it, um, he, he talks about how one of his main tasks is to um, destroy traditions. And his point is that um, in, in the history of philosophy anyway, second, sometimes we have like insights into the nature of reality. And... We, we conceptualize those insights into the nature of reality. So, you know, we talk about uh, like categories like substance and we come up with all sorts of metaphysical doctrines and we pass those down, we teach those to our students and they, they become like, reified and we, we confuse the abstract, the abstract concepts for the insights into reality. And uh, when we do that, often the, the concepts prevent us from actually seeing reality as it truly is, and so we, we lose our uh, our wonder and our insight into being um, when we rely too much on tradition, and so I, I think there is a need to to recover it. Um, you know, like we can talk about traditional Christian art and how that's so wonderful, but those were produced out of a a wonder for the nature of being that people thought that they saw in Christ, and without. Would you know without that wonder that came from, you know, uh, these these insights, uh, we'll we'll just lose the culture anyway, mm. and you know, it's there's no point in, in preserving a dead culture, um, you know. I think we need the sort of authenticity to to renew the culture and keep it going. Mm. So like having the um, uh, the dilemma towards you know is it more important um, to be living Christians or, or cultural Christians like. It's difficult to, to make that divide. Mm. But, yeah. Mm. Um, the other thing I would add um, is works of love. Right? Mm. Um, um, uh, scripture talks a lot about loving your neighbor as yourself. And, and I mean, the, the church um, has a, a dark history and also an, a, a good history, too. I mean, when you think about hospitals and charities and all these things uh, were initially started by uh, the church right mm -hmm. and so uh, that idea of uh, loving um, the other 
right? It's it's an important thing to to practice um, for a modern world, um, and so I think that's really important, especially now um, um, when you think about just what's going on in the world. And so um, I think, um, yeah. I would say works of love and loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, going back to Kierkegaard, I, I don't know what you wanted me to say about, about Kierkegaard. Well, you talked about why the example of Abraham sacrificing his son was so, was oh, so important um, in this context. Yeah, uh, the reason why at, at the time Kierkegaard lived um, in Christendom, Right, like. Um, so, just explain uh, who Kierkegaard is, where he lived. He lived. He's from Denmark, right? Um, and Europe had this uh, Christian uh, culture, um, and and that was his world. Um, and people um, considered themselves uh, cult- Christians culturally, right? Uh, but. According to Kierkegaard, they weren't living um, as Christians. They weren't really Christians. They would say that they were that they're Christians, but they were Christians in name. Um, mm. There wasn't. Um, they didn't um, practice Abrahamic faith. Yeah, that's what he would say. And for Kierkegaard, um, uh, one who practices Abrahamic faith is 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 a true Christian in some sense. Yeah. And so the reason why he brings up uh, Abraham uh, and Isaac, um, he uses it as an illustration uh, to, to uh, talk about the importance of faith uh, and the faith that Abraham exercised when God called him to sacrifice Isaac. Um, and so Abraham was so committed to God that he was willing to sacrifice Isaac Mm -hmm. right Um, and for Kierkegaard he sees that as as a uh, he sees he sees that um, as important because when we talk about issues of of faith um, it's important for one to make that decision to commit him, him or herself to God, and that commitment needs to be revealed in the way, uh, in the way you live, mm-hmm. right? And there are certain things that you also have to sacrifice, like for example, uh, certain sins, sins that you have to stop doing. You have to die to yourself in order to regain yourself. Yeah. You have to lose your life in order to regain. To regain it, and so um, it, the Abraham and Isaac story illustrates that truth perfectly. That Abraham was willing to give up Isaac, uh, but he also uh, received Isaac back hmm. again. Um, it wasn't the case that God was going to allow Abraham to sacrifice to kill his son, right? Because God stopped him, right? Um, and so when when we talk about a cultural Christian and, and a Christian who's authentic, Kierkegaard would say a cultural Christian is somebody who um, goes to the mass, for example, 
uh, once or maybe three times a year um, says he's Christian because his parents are Christian or he comes from a Christian home or he grew up or he or she grew up in a Christian home. Uh, but just because you grew up in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you hang out with Christians doesn't make you a Christian. Or just because you don't swear doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is your commitment, the commitment that you you have made to God. Right. You've said yes to God in this covenantal relationship. Um, and... And you've abandoned the world, right? Mm-hmm. By making that commitment, you abandon the world. Yeah. Right? Uh, the world meaning like the life of sin um, and whatnot. Yeah. And you choose to live the way of the cross. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so like, yeah, it's like giving your, your whole self to, to Christ or and and to your neighbor like in an act of love and you sort of do that um beyond like social and natural restraints i mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. well not natural restraints i'm thinking again of you know ignatius going and dying right but yeah yeah so like um <clears throat> when it comes to to like cultural christians do you think there's 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 an importance in that uh, like in in maintaining like a certain culture, uh, or like th- does it matter sh- that Christendom has died and is you know? We can't get it back. Final? We can't go back to Christendom. We can't go back. Um, you can, why don't you think we can go back? Well, we just can't. <laughs> <laughs> we just can't. Why not? Because you look at you, you, you look at history and how is it going to fly to have a christian stay <laughs> I, I mean, think I mean we, we all know how that you know um we don't live in that world anymore mm-hmm. um and uh not yeah. talking about a christian state per se but i mean in terms of recovering the culture i think it's i think it's possible because all you need is a minority a minority, a min, a minority group of people, to be very firmly planted in their convictions to change the minds of the society. And unfortunately, that is whether that we that's for positive or for negative. That essentially is the case, right? You have a minor, you know, in our culture, there is a very minor group that's very loud and has essentially influenced the majority of right. some of the policies that have been taking place. Yeah. And so, and then you look at history, and uh, I mean, you look at right now. I think the best example would be if you look at now. Um, so, if you have in 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 the United States, right? Jewish people only drink um, wine that is kosher, yeah. right? They only drink kosher wine. Did you know that all the wine in the USA is kosher? Is, is all of the wine or just most like I know that a significant proportion maybe it's just a significant I, I, proportion I didn't know right but that's because and and the, and Jewish people or Jews in the USA are a very very small group of people right 
Is there a, a high percentage of Jewish people in the beer wine? industry or the wine industry? No, I think it's simply America? it's simply that for you want to yeah, it's yeah. more marketable. Like because non-Jewish people will consume kosher products as well, so they might as well make the products kosher so that they can uh, gain a bit more of a market. I see. Yeah. And you know, Jewish people are a very very small group in the United States, right? And the same with. Um, I mean, it's sort of slightly different with Muslims. Uh, they, they, they only take halal meat. Mm-hmm. And not all meat is halal yet. It might be if the... if the Maybe in the UK, because UK is projected by 2030 or 2035 to be 50, 50% Muslim. And maybe at that point, all meat will be halal. Um, I don't know. But it's, you, you essentially just need a very small minor group to be very vocal and be very strong in their conviction to affect change in the, the society at large. So yeah. that's why I do think it is possible. My question will be, what sort of change are you trying to affect and what exactly are you trying to bring back? And what, what do we do with values of tolerance and... and uh, I mean, that's a big one. Um, Yeah, and like how how important is um, like you know having worldly success or success in politics to to the actual like living like Abrahamic faith? Yeah, um, because like you know part of the reason why the church exploded in the early centuries is that people sort of em- embrace this sort of radical self giving way of life, um, and you know like you. St- um, Like there, there's like a ton of examples of like you know, women were treated better uh, because of like a radical Christian faith, and so people joined because of that. It wasn't so much like a you know, persuasion, you know, the the, the force of minority. It was just you know, sort of a grassroots thing. Um, a big thing was is during uh, all the plagues, uh, Christian like like a lot of pagans would flee the cities and abandon the sick and just like stay away from them. But Christians would go in and like tend to their sick and the sick of the pagans, and um, just having the basic care, like they would have a you know a good survival rate, um, and you know the people they tended to would have a good survival rate, um, and like that sort of increased Christian influence. Mm. And it wasn't so much about oh we need to influence people, but it you know their influence mm. sort of grew out of their convictions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 So I, I suppose to answer both of your questions, it's I wouldn't necessarily be retrieving anything. I think it's just the ethical framework of Christianity right, sure. is what has, as Amos previously mentioned, is what has dramatically changed the modern. I mean, we live in the modern world, but dramatically changed human history as a whole. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a, mm-hmm. um, a Nero had. Um, had this party what was this party called on the streets i think it was like the yearly saturnalia party and on the street so his party essentially was it, it was a it was a what's that word orgy it was an orgy yeah. party yeah but like um i guess um it was the one day of the year where uh roles would be reversed in the social hierarchy right so like if you were a lord like if you were a, a paterfamilias and you owned slaves uh you would let you would dress up your slaves in your finest finest garments and you would let them serve uh and then if you if you had a daughter and your slave said you know i'd like to rape your daughter you couldn't say no 
uh, like in yeah that was, that was during Nero's party now like Saturnalia celebrations were not like that uh, the paterfamilias was usually uh, uh, a lot more like ethical in his behavior towards his daughters but yeah that was just like Nero's party yeah I mean and, and the, the reason it's interesting is that um, and we talked Amos talked mentioned the hierarchies right right and if you were a a Roman, right? If you're part of a Roman family, you could not be defiled, and that was part of it. Like if you're a woman, you you, you it, it was looked down upon, very looked down upon for you to be defiled by a slave. But here, Nero completely turned it upside down and said, "Oh yeah, if you're a slave, if you have a slave, and the slave approached your daughter, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, approached you and said, hey, I wanna, you know." have sex with your daughter you couldn't say no and it was it was and contrasting that to what christians were practicing then it was just such a strong contrast Mm, mm -hmm, right mm, 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 that you couldn't you could yeah yeah go ahead you couldn't deny how like we look at what nero did back then Mm -hmm. and we'd say that is disgusting absolutely disgusting Mm -hmm. but back then i mean nero was a bit crazier than most but it would still there were lots of other things like um for the romans they used the same term for slaves and urinals right it was interchangeable is it is it urinal i don't remember um it was interchangeable because your slaves were essentially just where your pardon my language but where your dick could be parked right it was just slaves were just existed obviously to serve you but you could use them however you wanted they had no sense of you had no sense of ethical obligation to them to take care of, to, you would take care of them obviously because right, right, they wanted to serve right, but right. they were at your whim and right. we look at that and say that's disgusting right. you, you, how can you do that but right. then at that point in time pre-Christianity that was essentially the norm and our the way our presuppositions about how to live how to act how to treat somebody else is so intertwined with christianity that i think that's why i think that having cultural christians is still important i think that the ethical aspect of uh, this goes back to what um uh amos said that the, the, the moral ethical aspect of Christianity is still present with us um, it hasn't gone away so in some sense there's a part of Christendom in the present in this present modern world yeah um, that we haven't um, um, uh, that we haven't thrown thrown out right we haven't um, um, eliminated but um, and I think it, it, in some ways it's also connected th- that ethical um, aspect of Chris, uh, Christendom is also connected to um, uh, what Nietzsche was trying to mm. uh, right uh, he was what he was trying to say about about this ethical foundation of the Western world that um, we have to get rid of it for him uh, it's a product of uh, of the slaves, mm-hmm. it's, it's a slave morality, which we the have weak. to uh, we have to get rid of. Uh, um, and, and and for him, uh, that's how you kill God, right? Yeah. But if you if you do that, right? Um, mm. 
the Western world will have no foundation. So I, I think that aspect of the of Christendom is still with us. Um, hmm. But I, I respect the value of tolerance. I mean, yeah, you know, which heretics didn't. <laughs> heretics in in Christendom, they weren't um, well tolerated. tolerated. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Right, and and, and I, that aspect yeah. of Christendom, I I don't. <laughs> I mean, her- I, re- I reject. Yeah, heretics also not killing not killing people because you dis- because they disagree with the official yeah, yeah, teaching yeah, yeah, yeah. of the Catholic. Come on, Obvious. yeah, yeah. So no, I'm not defending that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the aspect that I I don't want to retrieve at all. Yeah, and so yeah. when yeah. You, when you talked about. Uh, when you s- first mentioned uh, Christendom or bringing back the Christian culture, man, my, my alarms went off. I was like, well, what p- what part are you trying to retrieve? <laughs> yeah, because, um, yeah, you, you know, I, we could easily argue that the culture as a whole was not thoroughly Christianized and there still was some, like, you know, pagan remnants. Like I think of, you know... Isn't Christmas pagan? Uh, no, Christmas was invented by Christians. Uh, <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah, but no, I I mean like, uh, like a lot of the social hierarchy from Rome was preserved into the Middle Ages, and uh, even some of the tri- tribal hierarchies of you know uh, pagan Germanic peoples uh, came to dominate Christendom in the in the form of monarchy, mm. um, and so that sort of a social hierarchy, um, you know, it's it's quite debatable because you know they. There are some weirdos on the internet who, when they talk about reviving Christendom, uh, talk about who, you know, the rightful heir to the throne of France is and why he should be brought back to rule. And, you know, I don't think that's what any of us. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. no, 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 Yeah, no. It, it's, it's more of like a. The ethical. That's like that's what you're thinking commitment about. To the, to the ethical. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean. For sure, it's not those that we are not talking about. Because we're not talking about Christian states here. Yeah, we're yeah. Because I think for that. a lot of them, it, it, one thing that I've noticed is these some some of these people who, and you know, you have the you have obviously within Islam the the politics and religion is are are not two separate things in in Islam. They are the same. They're essentially the same thing. Like you cannot separate them, and so that's why you have Muslim states. Like they they're still in existence, right? Whereas with Christianity, they they made that divide, and that's why we have. I mean, you could debate. We have a friend who I won't mention, uh, but who is an expert on cults, and you know he's told us multiple times that you know it is true that the American founding fathers weren't necessarily Christian. Right? They were Freemasons, but also they were Deists, and he's he's said this. They they were Deists. Um, so I, there was a point to what I was saying. Oh yeah, about Amos's point about the weirdos on the internet. They weren't necessarily Christian. Yeah, I mean they could have been Christian in name. Yeah, you know, maybe they were Christian because free masonry is just a society, right? Of and then and then you have different people from different yeah. walks of life in there. I mean, they're they're sort of like religious masonry that sort of did sort yeah. of embrace like you know deism yeah. or yeah. Like elements of spinoza and sort of use that as a substitute for religion but mm-hmm. right and so to 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 those uh people on the internet who want to revive christian states they i have what i've noticed is that they actually 
do tend to say we have to revive um, you know white people should be with white people brown people should be with brown people yellow should be with i mean yeah i'm obviously i'm using their terms right they're, yellows they, they're again they're trying to divide people they're trying to divide and they're trying to divide into this thing that we previously talked about about race the social category of purity we have to preserve the pure rate the the purity of races right so the black race should be their own thing right. white race should be but it, it's like you it achieve doesn't. purification by segregating yourself from yeah. other people but i think sort of like you know reifying and sort of like wanting to to clutch on to this like you know die, dead and dying culture that you know doesn't come from like living con- conviction and um like in intuition and insight into being that that ends up you know leading to all sorts of awful consequences and you know it's it's arguable that like you know that happened in like you know portugal and spain um what's his name franco franco yeah um you know just just the idea that we we need to hold on to a a pure christian republic um Sorry, not republic. We need to hold on to our, our pure Christian nation and sort of purge it of uh, contrary elements. And I think, like, yeah, that's not what most people want. And the sort of like comment on the like the racialism. Like, I know that they're. Would you like to live in that state? No, of course not. Like, <laughs> yeah, I I think that's uh, kind of like the state that uh, early Christians, um, Reject. yeah, rejected in their their ethical presuppositions. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it is an, it is interesting because you have the pessimists, Christians. I, th- I would say the, the majority of intellectual Christians that I am aware of tend to be almost tend to be pessimistic in their outlook on the world. They say this culture is dying, we're dying, we're living in this dying culture and we're going to die with it. Oh my goodness. Let me just leave let me just leave the city, go live by myself in the boonies and and to and I've, I you know to me it let's assume that the culture is dying, which I don't disagree with. The way to solve that is not to be pessimistic because if you're pessimistic, you're going to it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to be a rational optimist insofar as you know that the culture is dying you have rationalized it and rationally you understand it but you have to be an optimist that okay we can make change and i think obviously i am retrospectively uh doing armchair psychology now so i'm just prefacing that mm. so the early christians they could have easily said ah we're all gonna die <laughs> you know we're just gonna keep dying so I guess we should just all escape the cities and 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 the you know the pagan areas and do our own thing and not associate with them. But they, inst- I mean, of course there were some who escaped, not escaped, but um, what's the word? They divorced themselves from society and lived in caves and do all did all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we can talk about that. Um, <laughs> but for the f- you know for a lot of other Christians, they stayed and they. You know, they, they, they went and loved their neighbors, right? And that essentially, even though they were pessimistic in their outlook that, oh, if I'm a Christian, I'm going to die. Yet, my goal is not that, uh, my goal is not necessarily to preserve my life, but it's to 
preach the gospel to 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 change the world for the good. I mean, they you know they believe that Jesus would have were coming very soon, much sooner than they thought. But he obviously is not here yet. So, so my armchair psychology is that they were rational optimists, and I think that's the mm-hmm. way to approach it. Whereas most intellectuals, academics, I've I've real I've noticed is they tend to be rational pessimists. Mm. Like oh yeah, this is happening, and therefore I am not going to do anything about it and go away and sort of like talk about it and not really do engage people mm-hmm. and try to change the world around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just uh, you know, I, I assume you're th- thinking of the monks who fled, some of them, some of the monks who yeah. fled this, you know, fled the cities. <laughs> um, but you know, there there's this idea that um, in in those times that we could no longer identify. Um, are like you know th- there's a conviction in the in the ancient world that ethics was political uh you know we're social creatures and so our ethics have to play out in the way that we organize society right and uh people came to the conviction that um you know we we can no longer identify our ethical life due to our convictions with the the main maintenance of the city as the roman state became more and more corrupt as it was collapsing and so what they sought to do instead was to um maintain society and to like build new social institutions that they could you know use to to work for the improvement of society and so like you know uh the the desert fathers in egypt are often cited as an example of people who just fled society gave up on it but um a lot of historians have like looked at that and gone back and have found like well no these these people actually played uh an important role in society as a whole like where there were monasteries around, usually like villages would be set up nearby and there would be sort of like uh, economies and like educational arrangements arranged between the villagers and the monks. Uh, monks would, you know, when the judicial system of Rome became so corrupt that it was no longer like tenable, people would go to the monks to, to resolve their, their ethical disputes in the village. And so these sort of became the new centers of society. Interesting. So yeah, it's not like a like. There's there's definitely pessimists there, but yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I w- I was referring to the Desert Fathers. <laughs> you, were, you were you were definitely yeah. referring yeah. to um, <laughs> the 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 last thing that uh, you know that I, I wanted to ask you guys regarding sort of all the conversation we're talking is what are your actual thoughts <laughs> well, you know what are your thoughts on the on having a christian nation axel why don't you start us off oh boy um uh, So, um, I mean, I tend to uh, think about history and how things uh, played out. Um, and um, going back to the example that I, uh, I said um, um, concerning um, the mistreatment uh, of heretics and people like that, uh, those are bad aspects, and, and I feel... Um, if you were to create a, a Christian um, 
nation um, the dangers of imposing your religion on other people mm. uh, is a possibility. But um, but isn't that or isn't that happening in the secular world? Like that it, the secular world is imposing its uh, secular um, um, ideologies on other people. It, it is happening, um, and uh, and I feel that the pendulum has swung to the other side now because of um, our uh, Christian history. Um, vis-a-vis uh, you know treating uh, people who hold different um, views um, right um, mistreating those people who hold different views and whatnot not tolerating them right mm-hmm. uh, and so that's why after um, I mean th- that's why you have you had um, enlightenment philosophers you know um, advocating for tolerance uh, is a big thing. Uh, I have a, a friend who is um, he's he's studying this. He's, he's a colleague <coughs> of mine at Wycliffe, and he's studying um, tolerance. Um, uh, I think I think the idea of uh, of tolerance has religious roots, uh, mm-hmm. from what I I remember. Um, uh, just from conversing with them, but nonetheless, uh, it's 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 a it's it's a feature of our of our modern world, right? Uh, and so, whatever Christian nation one would form, um, right? Like, um, make sure <laughs> um, people have freedom to express themselves. Um, don't infringe their liberty. Um, you know, uh, practice tolerance, right? Um, be merciful, right? Mm-hmm. To uh, other people who disagree uh, with you. Or, um, yeah, I'll say, I'll say that. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, you know, if, if a state is truly to, to embody like you know, like if you're you're asking about a Christian nation, if an estate is truly to embody the Christian side of that, you would need, um, you know, to seek peace, tolerance, mm-hmm. you know, fairness, um, and you know, just the, the like the common good of, of all your, your citizens, uh, like what, whether or not they, they believed your religion, um, <clears throat> you know, it yeah. Like there, there is, um, you know, I think one of the, the classical arguments made um, to, to that's been made to sort of impose Christianity is this idea that, you know, the, the state has a supernatural purpose. It, you know, man has a supernatural end, it's a social being, so the state has a supernatural end. Um, and, you know, laws can be uh, a way of forming people into, into better citizens and in, in instilling uh, these sort of, um, mm-hmm. you know, particularly Christian ethical principles into them, and um, you know, I, I, yeah. to, to not beat around the bush, like it's done through coercion. The right. law, the law as a teacher right. is right. a huge. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a theme 
that really emerges strongly in the the enlightenment yeah. and um well not just the enlightenment i mean it's also uh earlier in like the the spanish empire the idea of uh laws teacher mm. and we need to teach people uh how to live as as christians um you know i i don't think the way to do that is with the heavy hand of the state if you take the uh like core principles of, of christianity seriously because mm-hmm. mm. um, uh, um, corruption is, is is a possibility mm. more than a possibility i mean it's yeah more than, yeah it's like yeah <laughs> well it's, it's not even yeah it's not even about corruption it's like you know to to even sort of carry out those those projects of of court like using yes the, yes, the um yes um like magisterial function of yes law the magis yeah, is, yeah yeah like that during the middle ages yeah and, like yeah. that you know you would think that that's just not um eth- ethically sound if you respect yeah. the dignity of those yeah. people yeah um yeah and also um you have to deal with uh, other faiths. Yeah. other faith tradition how are you going to deal with that mm. right um islam right um muslims jewish and mm. buddhists mm-hmm. yeah. even catholics and protestants if, there's like there's no way yeah even catholics and protestants there's no way to sort of resolve those those tensions today so i mean it, it begs the question then um what do you think are the benefits what are the benefits of having a secular uh, state? Mm. Or like, right, a, a secular state um, just formally. Yeah. Well, even like, yeah, the, like, a, I guess the radical orthodox was like a, like a theological and philosophical movement <laughs> yeah, in the UK. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, a big, a big part of their, uh, philosophy is to say like uh, the secular is a theological invention so yes. like the idea of the secular comes from augustine's theology and it's sort of the uh it's an intermediate time mm-hmm. uh before the first coming and the second coming of christ in which we have to work out our our salvation and that's um yeah right uh yeah uh, y- you are absolutely right that uh, in the patristic uh period they understood well the word uh, secular uh, we get that from the latin word seculum mm-hmm. right? it just meant the intermediate uh, period uh, between um, uh, the present time and the the end time right yeah. as, as you mentioned um, and then um, and yeah it, uh, um, um, radical orthodoxy says that uh, the, the secular is a theological invention. Actually, Milbank says it's a it's a Christian heresy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He says it's a Christian her- heresy. Uh, he he just thinks it's impossible to have this autonomous uh, sphere that's devoid of uh, God, or it's not attached mm. to God in some sense. Um, but he, he sees the universe partic- as that which participates in God. And so how are you going to... Call, if, if that's your metaphysical understanding uh, of the universe or the world, how, how is it possible for you to have a secular space, right? Um, 
that's autonomous and independent of of God. Um, but I mean, I I I, di- I disagree. I mean. <laughs> I, I disagree with Milbank on his conclusion that he wants a. I mean, it, it seems um, if I don't, um, if I've misread him, um, s- tell me. But from my reading of Milbank, it seems as though he's advocating for a Christian nation or Christian. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, like I. I don't. I don't it's think like you the, know the, that. It's like Christendom has to be the. The norm, or it has to subsume uh, other uh, culture, uh, mm. and so that's where I disagree with 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 Milbank. He wants to bring back that. He, yeah, he definitely dog. wants like social engagement, but it, that oh, right, right, yeah. And it, so yeah, I mean, the, the, there's other ways of sort of parsing out what the secular is, and there's it's possible to come up with a, you know, to think about, um, yeah, like the there is a space in which we we should respect people and seek to to yes. will will their good as best we can. Right. So yeah, yeah. I don't think he uh, the secular has a positive valuation in his in his no theology. it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't. no that, and that's where like I yeah yeah I'm not on board with them yeah. on that. Oh, so on that note, shall we conclude this podcast? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Is it, hey, we can smell uh, dinner cooking. We're all yeah. I'm hungry. <laughs> hungry. Well, Axel, it was great having you here. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. No stress. Always good to catch up. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening to this episode of Kazingram Dialogue. If you enjoyed, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and be sure to follow us on social media.